got cold feet, but not in that sense. I'm not actually running away. Um, uh, what time am I finishing? I always forget. I this, this time and this is not very good. Um, well, uh, yeah, give me. Hold up the. Hold up the. I used to do academic conferences, and there used to be person on the front row with like a five-minute board, and then a one-minute board, and then. And then they're like, and then they would literally cut your mic if you carry on too long. But if you overran, and you didn't get questions, it was quite handy. Um, the Beatitudes. How many of you were here last week? Awesome. Good. Well, are we, we going to carry on in a little mini series? on the Beatitudes. No, I didn't get that. And um, so I'm, I'm not going to go into a lot of the sort of context because James covered it last week. So if you think, oh, this is, I could have done with a little bit more, a uh, little bit more delving into the structure of Matthew, I think. Um, listen back to last week because James did go into that a little um, plus, I only have a certain amount of time. I really don't know how much time. Um, so, uh, it's, it's interesting this sermon to prepare because I have done some work on the Beatitudes in the past. We ran a connect group a couple of years back, me and uh, Matt Kukoka. Uh, I think a couple of you actually came to that. Um, and so I studied it a lot. And so you come into this passage and you study it a lot, which is not normally the case, because I'm not, I'm not a pro. I don't study, I have a job and stuff with kids, so I don't study <laughs> scripture as a job. So um, normally you're trying to work out what the passage means. Uh, this time I'm coming, thinking I already know what the passage means. I don't know whether that's dangerous. Um, and I, I was trying to describe, well, let's read the passage first. I think that would be good, actually. Um, and then I'll pray, and then I'll talk about it. Um, now when Jesus, oh, this is uh, Matthew 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord Jesus, I pray you come and show us 
or for your spirit. Some of you might know your ways. Some of you might receive grace to walk in them. I'm trying to think of a way, you know, not asking you to preach on a sermon that someone did, same uh, passage that someone did last week. I was trying to think of a way to describe uh, what Jesus is doing here that that fits in with what I'm talking about, which is the, the future hope that we have in these verses that Jesus gives us. And I was sort of casting around and re- reading commentaries and I remembered I remembered this these verses in Hosea which are not you know mega well known but they are significant to me I've been fascinated by them for years and years and um, I come back to them and I get inspired by them and angry about them and so, so I take this stuff quite seriously, so there's a lot of emotion involved <laughs> when I read them out. I think that's okay. And it's certainly okay to not get all emotional and people to take them seriously in different ways. Um, and I think, I think this, is, this passage in Hosea 6 is sort of what Matthew is, or what Jesus is doing in this passage in Matthew. It's Hosea 6, verse 1 to 3. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. I've learned all about the winter rains the last four weeks. I think it should be pretty obvious why this passage causes a lot of emotion. Because when I'm not feeling great, which I'm not sometimes, I think, why are you tearing us to pieces? Why, what gives you the right to tear me to pieces, Lord? I don't want it. And I don't sometimes, a lot of the time. And I don't want to be injured so you can heal me. Don't want it. And the, that's normal prayer, by the way. Um, we just read the Psalms. We, and if you if you don't pray like that, but you want to, we now have permission to pray like that. Obviously, you don't have to, but if you feel different. Um, And then sometimes struggling a bit more in my faith. And then all that's left 
is the first bit of those things. All that's left is the tearing to pieces. There's no healing if there's no God. There's no binding up of wounds if there's no future. There's no restoring on the third day. Why do they wait three days? Serious. Why does he wait three days? Restoration now, you know? And I think this is what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. Um, when I don't believe in God, I understand the sort of Marxist critique of these sort of passages. Which, if you don't know, is that when someone says, blessed are the poor, they're just They're just keeping the poor down. They're pretending that it's something good about being poor so that they can hoard all the money for themselves. They're pretending there's something good about mourning so that they can kill people or at least mistreat them enough that they die. Because if you don't believe in God, that's what this is, actually. Because Jesus is some old teacher guy who said some nice things, and he didn't say nice things, actually, because this stuff is evil. If you just take the first half of each beatitude, then it's worse than useless. It's damaging. The poor in spirit, or the poor, as Luke has it in another version of a similar teaching. It's a bit like a Victorian factory owner. You imagine him, and he's in his London club in an evening, and he spent the day at a funeral of one of his workers that was mangled in some contraption. And he's smoking his cigar, and he's saying to his brothers in the club, he's saying, well, you know, we have all this. We have the wood paneling. We have the leather. We had the brandy, we had the fine cigars. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, blessed are the poor, didn't he? Blessed are they who mourn. And I, I really saw that today. In fact, I, I almost feel like I envy those people. He's just a baddie from a Dickens novel. Worse than that, that, I remember uh, fascinated by Russian history and Stalin, when he was on his intellectual purges, he's, he's talking to artists, to visual artists and to writers, to composers, to poets, and he's saying, your business is rejoicing. Why he locks up their family. Your business is rejoicing while he's sending people to Siberia while he's murdering millions, while he's putting the Jews in pogroms. But you writers, you need to be inspiring the people because this, this society is good. This society is perfect. 
And that's what we're left with, if this is not God himself speaking. And I wonder about saying this stuff, what I've just said, because it's strong stuff. I'm sort of accusing us sometimes, aren't I? Because I've heard that sort of stuff in church. And then I remembered in James. Now, if you want commentary recommendations on the Beatitudes, please come to me at the end. I have a couple. No, I may have got some. Um, but the best biblical commentary on the Sermon on the Mount is the Gospel of James. It's in the New Testament. Um, and James is a brother of Jesus, and he seems to really know what Jesus said and wants to talk about it and comment on it. Um, and he uses that very example when he's talking about dead faith. He's really keen that your faith isn't dead, James. He really wants to protect you from that. And he says this in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can some such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is, out, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Dead is not something you want to be, you want your faith to be. And so... I think what I'm trying to say is that these things, this list that Jesus gives in a way characteristic of rabbis at the time, but so unexpected in its content, this list is not a list of entry requirements or qualifications to join the kingdom. Remember what James said last week, his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is not He's not said that and then says, right, so what you have to do, become poor in spirit. Because that's a blessing in itself. What you have to do is become a mourner. Or what you have to do is get yourself persecuted. He's not providing us with entry requirements for the kingdom. He's saying, he's inviting us into this walk. This walk that Jesus calls the kingdom of God that Paul calls more often being in Christ, right? This walk of faith, of salvation. And he invites us in in this sermon. And this is the beginning of the, the first bit of teaching of the first book of the New Testament. So this is, this is the first invite we get. And it's a, it's a dual thing. It's very much like the Hosea passage, right? So you, you have this dual promise of this is going to be hard this is going to be tough this is going to feel like sometimes being torn to pieces but there is hope there is this kingdom of heaven there is this being in Christ, which is full of hope and comfort. 
only way we notice that the first beatitude there, blessed are the poor in spirit, that has a promise that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I used because when I was speaking out loud, because I think poor, it means the same thing. And the NIV uses because in the last um, one in verse 12. Um, because raises your ears. And I think four sort of clouds the issue. You sort of brush over the four. Whereas if we say because, we know bless, it's not blessed are the poor in spirit because they are poor in spirit, which I think is how we read it sometimes, which is what I'm saying is evil, right? Or can be. Um, this promise, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that's in the present tense. Then you get loads of future tense promises. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be shown mercy. And then at the end, you get blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You get the bookends of present promises, and in the middle you get the future promises. And that's how the kingdom works, right? I'm sure you've heard it. If you've ever been to church, you've probably heard now and not yet. It's something that people love to say. It's because it's true. Um, but Jesus inaugurated his kingdom. He brought about his kingdom in his death and resurrection, his life his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his sending of the Holy Spirit. He brings about this kingdom on earth and this kingdom on earth is here in the church, amazingly. Um, but it's not yet fully inaugurated. There's not yet, we don't see, we don't see everything that it will become. We don't live in heaven now. And that's why, as we walk along, we will find times where we're poor in spirit and where we will mourn. And when we'll have to hunger and thirst for righteousness, all these negative things, or responses to negative events. We have to be merciful because people have done us wrong. We have to be pure in heart because there's a lot of temptation around. I don't know if you've noticed. We have to make peace because there is war, winter rains, winter hail. So we have this promise. We are now situated in a place where we're blessed. And this blessing is not, as I say, because of the situation. We're not blessed because we mourn. We're blessed as we mourn because we'll be comforted. Right? And this blessing is not a sort of reward either. It's more talking about a situation. So it's picture a tree by a stream of water which yields fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. That's the that's the blessing. That's the blessing that we're talking about, right? So he's inviting us into this path. Inviting us into this life, into this flourishing, which is like being a tree by a stream of water that bears fruit in season. And as Jesus tends to do, he immediately tries to put you off. He says, you know, in this path, there will be times when you're poor and when you're poor in spirit 
Matthew says poor in spirit and Luke it talks about being poor without the qualifier. So both of those things we're talking about. There will be times when that will be true of you and in those times there will be blessing. You in that moment will be like a tree planted by a stream happy tree in a happy situation but that happiness is not going to necessarily be expressed in any sort of emotional way it'll be a it'll be a blessedness a flourishing that comes through tears tears of mourning it will come through periods of not taking your rights of appearing meek of people laughing at you and thinking they've got one over on you not taking vengeance, of having to be merciful when you're wrong, or being merciful when you're wrong. It will come through being pure in heart when there is some kind of fulfillment in not being. And there is, let's not pretend. There's fulfillment in that relationship that you existed because you knew it wasn't right. And you would have been fulfilled in that to some extent, not eternally. But let's not pretend it was you would have been miserable. You wouldn't. You'd have had a lot of happy times if you stayed pure in heart because you were believing in a promise. The kingdom is inaugurated. This kingdom that Jesus is inviting in, us into is inaugurated through suffering. He's not asking us to do here, or he's not promising us anything that he doesn't demonstrate, that he doesn't do. Just read the rest of Matthew, read the rest of the Gospels. He suffers, he has mercy. He's persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So anything that we go through comes from that. He has already gone through. And Hebrews says, even that he does it for the same reason he's looking forward to something Hebrews says Hebrews 12 says that because of the joy set before him he endured the cross isn't that amazing even Jesus himself was living for something ahead even Jesus himself so when I'm shouting at him saying why are you doing this to me don't like it. It's not a glib response, but there is a response there that says, look at my son, he did it for you. Uh, and Jesus is so much more, but one of the things he is to us is an example. He is. He's an example of perseverance through suffering. He's an example of walking the way. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus drops this in. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. What do you say to that? We're thrown so often onto 
into the into the grace of Jesus that Jesus is teaching is being preached to us. I think if there's one thing that read in the Gospels specifically you say you know it builds you onto his grace because if again if you rip the last half of each gospel out if you don't believe that bit you think oh he's a good preacher but I don't believe the dying and resurrection bit um, so when when John says well, I, I think sometimes Jesus is trying to put people off he says, you know, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have a part in me. He sort of explains it. And then at the end of that chapter in John 6, he says, and then many of his disciples left him. And you think, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. He's unfailingly honest. I'm with this. These are not things to be sought out. They're not qualifications. And so if you're feeling rich in spirit right now, that's not something to be lamenting. That's something to be rejoiced over. That means that the kingdom of heaven, the now and not yet, is now for you in that area right now. That's wonderful. You'll see in the fruit that we will all see. But you must know that it won't always be like this. That deeper falling away. And also that your brothers and sisters, they won't all feel like that either. Right? So have mercy on them. Comfort them with the comfort you've received. If you're poor in spirit, for you now, so long as the kingdom of heaven, you have that thing. As Paul would say, you are in Christ if you believe in him. Even if you're poor in spirit, that doesn't change. You're in Christ. You're known by him. You're loved by him. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And there will be a day where it will be revealed. Everything you've longed for, everything you were disappointed by now will fade away. Everything you long for will be revealed. Those of you who mourn, if you're, if you're rejoicing now, then wonderful. A little bit of the future kingdom is breaking in. And there will be a day. you're meek now if you're letting yourself in some ways be taken advantage of if you're being mocked you will in, you will receive some vindication and you may do you may not you will but there will be a day when you 
hunger and thirst for righteousness now there's many nights where you stand and you look shouting at God saying this is not right what are you doing about it I'm trying my best what are you doing about it God you see the injustice in the world and you can't bear it keep working you'll see some fruit you will might be after you've died there will be fruit on earth and there will be a day where you will be filled with so much love and so much satisfaction because righteousness will rain down like a river all the injustice that's been done to the least of us will be dealt with and everything shall be punished if you're having to be merciful now because you've been wronged you don't have to be merciful now but you're choosing to be merciful now thank you for your beautiful picture Pete there will be a day you are, you are forgiven your sins and there will be a day when you will be filled finally and fully as you've forgiven others temptation, you've given up things that you know would have provided some fulfillment if you God did you've given up things that feel like a part of yourself because you know they're not God's plan for you, you've remained pure in the face of so many temptations that feel unnecessary you will see God in this you will see God now in moments and there will be a day be a perfect vision of him where you will see God face to face and you will be changed and you will know him and you will feel more fulfilled than you could ever than you ever knew you could be and if you are persecuted for righteousness and if those you know abroad in harder places to live than this are being persecuted and you want God to stop it and you will do it there will be a day as is the kingdom of heaven now <laughs> for them so often they'll have to rise but there will be a day where the kingdom of heaven will come and we will see the martyrs as, it, as revelation so often points out the martyrs their prayers will be like fragrant charmer flame and we will worship together. What we need for this walk, this narrow walk through a small gate, is grace. We need this gracious invite from Jesus. <laughs> and this isn't the only invite. The New Testament is full of invitations. We need the Holy Spirit graciously given to us so that we can begin our journey. We need the Holy Spirit working in us so we can walk and not stick.
God's grace. Mercy of Jesus to forgive us our sins. There are times when we fall and I still struggle. And one of the means of grace that God gives us is is the table of bread and wine. Um, It's a place where we remember what Jesus has done for us, where we remember his example. We don't get this sacrament so that's what we're going to do now thanks Dave I'm not sure, Pip, what we're going to do now.